It's a Mailbag Monday. We've got your questions about Yankee shortstop Alexander Vargas, Reds first baseman Christian Encarnacion Strand, and Nationals third baseman Brady House, amongst others. Let's talk about it. You are Locked On MLB Prospects, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, welcome on in to Locked on MLB Prospects, your home for all things minor league baseball. I'm your host, Lindsey Crosby, freelance baseball writer and podcaster. Thank you for making this your first listen every single day. We're probably part of the Locked on Podcast Network, where it's your team every day. And today is your episode. Every question in a Mailbag Monday episode comes from listeners of the show. If you have a question for the show, I'm on Twitter at Crosby Baseball. Show's on Twitter at Locked on Farm. You can email us. Locked on MLB Prospects at gmail.com or drop your questions in the Locked on MLB Prospects Discord. Links in the episode description, links in the show notes. First question, multiple people asked about this guy. Uh, so shout out to Mark, shout out to Bacon in their Discord. Yankee shortstop Alexander Vargas. Can we give an update as to where he is and what's going on with him? So uh, 2018 IFA and Alexander Vargas is a good example of a guy that suffers from prospect fatigue, right? We've heard about him for years for situations outside of his control, like a pandemic. Uh, He has not had a chance to have the impact that you would expect in the minor leagues. And so we kind of forget how how promising he was when he first signed. Also, I've noticed this happens a lot to Yankees prospects. Jason Dominguez had a little bit of prospect fatigue as well, and it's just kind of interesting how that works, huh? So, uh, again, 2018 IFA doesn't get a lot of time, right? Something where he's in the Dominican in 2019, he makes it to rookie ball in 2021 after the pandemic, and then spends the whole year last year in low A with the Tampa Tarpons. Uh, 100 games, 203, 271, 311. Eight home runs, 24 extra base hits, 35 walks to 123 strikeouts, and 27 of 40 on stolen bases. Fell off of the radar. I believe both Baseball America and Pipeline maybe don't have him in the top 30 after that season that he had last year. But the team moved him up to high A Hudson Valley this year, his age 21 year, and he's having a good start to the year. So stats as of Sunday morning for everything on this show today, 19 games in high A Hudson Valley, 263, 341, 533, five home runs, 10 extra base hits, eight walks to 20 strikeouts, and five of six on stolen bases. So going from low A to high A, He adds 60 points to his batting average, okay? He adds 70 points to his on-base, and he adds 220 points to his slugging. You know, his five home runs in 19 games, I mean, he had eight in 100 last year. This, to me, is a case of you've been hearing about him for so long that when he stumbled, it was easy to assume, okay, this guy's not going to pan out. We've heard about him for years, and he just hasn't necessarily worked yet. When in reality, if you think about it, he's five months younger than Spencer Jones. 
So Spencer Jones being an A-ball, somebody who we're very excited about. I went out and got him in Dynasty. I mean, we're very excited about Spencer Jones. But Alexander Vargas deserves as much time to develop as a guy like a Spencer Jones. And some of the story here is he's been doing the physical transformation. If you think back to 2021, things like that, some of the conversation back when he was a top 10, top 15 prospect in the system, conversation was he needed to add good weight. He needed to add muscle and strength because his uh, exit velocities were some of the lowest in the system. He was a very good runner, very good as far as defense at shortstop. The arm was a little iffy. The power potential was iffy. Well, he's done a lot of that work. Even just as recently as last year, when you looked at him, it was something where he's gotten stronger. The arm has increased correspondingly. And so he went from a fringe to like a fringe to average arm to borderline above average on the arm at short. Still plays plus defense. I don't quite know if the speed is still 70 grade. I think it's slowed down a little bit to a 60, maybe a 65. But he absolutely can still uh, use his speed as a weapon, and he still does have plus defense there at shortstop. So a guy that can give you some, uh, some versatility as far as the arm is now good enough where Yes, he can kick into second, but he could probably kick out to third and make it work. Are you going to make him your full-time third baseman? Probably not, but it's good enough. The issue defensively for Alexander Vargas has been more uh, mental than physical, right? He has the tools that he needs. He has enough uh, arm strength. He has the quick twitch reactions and things like that, but it's been the focus, taking plays off, not necessarily... Uh, making the routine play. You should be, the goal should be to dominate the routine play and then to have a chance to use your athleticism to make the highlight reel ones. Hasn't quite been like that uh, for, for Alexander Vargas. At the plate, he's done a lot of work to, as he's added strength, to get that power to show up. Still a below average projection. I want to say in 2021, his average, average exit velo was in the 80s. And I want to say last year it was in the high 80s. So it's still, it's still, you're still looking at a below average power potential, but done more work to get the natural athleticism in the swing, calming things down in the swing. He can still get loose at the plate, still get out of the approach, but a lot less moving parts, a lot more streamlined of a swing. And you see how it's working at high A, the improvements that he's been able to put in. Part of this is, natural physical maturation. Part of this is an improved approach. I will note that he does have pretty significant platoon splits. He's a switch hitter. As a lefty, he's batting 290, 371, 629 with five home runs. As a righty, he's batting 143, 200, 214. It may be something where just bat left-handed all the time. That may be what we need to do here. But either way, very excited about Uh, the renewed uh, prospect hopes of an Alexander Vargas for the Yankees. Uh, Captain Dangerous in our Discord asked about Red's first baseman, Christian Encarnacion Strand. And honestly, guy that I've liked for a while, another guy I went out and got in fantasy, but somebody who I think if it wasn't for the injury, the back injury that he had early this year, he probably would already be up 
and playing first base uh, for the Cincinnati Reds. Joey Votto's not coming back anytime soon. Will Myers is on the IL. They've been doing things like taking Spencer Steer, mixing them in over there. And I think Christian Encarnacion and Strand's going to be the future at first base. 2021 fourth rounder out of Oklahoma State. Got 122 games last year between high A and double A for both the Reds organization and the Twins organization because he was traded midseason in the Tyler Molly deal. So last year, 304, 368, 587, 32 home runs, 68 extra base hits, 40 walks to 137 strikeouts in 122 games, and 8 to 10 on stolen bases. This year, 12 games in double A. He's on the second week back after rehabbing that back injury. 396, 429, 830. Seven home runs, nine extra base hits, one walk to 12 strikeouts, no stolen base attempts. Some of the home run numbers are a little skewed because Christian Encarnacion Strand on May 4th hit three home runs in one game. It was quite a game for the Louisville Bats. CES hits three home runs. Matt McLean hits for the cycle. Absolutely wild game. So if you have him on LB.TV, go back and watch it. But the thing here is, He was a third baseman and a first baseman. The arm was massive, 70-grade arm, but the defensive actions weren't as great. The range wasn't great, but he had a good first step. They've moved him full-time to first base. Every every play he's he's gotten in the field this year, from what I understand, has been at first base. He is a first baseman. Uh, Very aggressive approach. Uh, He is prone sometimes to swing and miss outside of the zone because he's looking to make contact and do damage as much as possible, but... The power is real, 70-grade power. So it's not going to be the same type of first baseman that you saw in Joey Votto, but it is going to be the heir apparent to Joey Votto. And I think at this rate, with how well he's performed in AAA, especially with Will Myers being on the IL, in just a couple weeks, rather than having Stevenson or Spencer Steer at first base, you may see CES get called up and he'd be uh, stuck into first base at Great American Ballpark. Very excited about what we see out of Christian Encarnacion Strand. In just a minute, I've got a question about the prospect promotion incentive and Mackenzie Gore and how he relates to it. But first, today's episode is brought to you by our friends at eBay Motors. For a championship team, it's all about making sure every player is a perfect fit. And that's the same when it comes to your vehicle. Every part needs to fit just right. So the next time you need parts and accessories, head to eBay Motors. With eBay's guaranteed fit, You can be sure every part you need fits right the first time around. You just add your car to my garage and look for the green check mark to know that the part will fit or your money back. Because just like in sports, confidence is the name of the game when you shop on eBay Motors. With over 122 million parts to choose from, you'll be back in the game in no time. So get the right parts, the right fit, the right prices on ebaymotors.com. Let's ride. Guaranteed. Fit only available to U.S. customers, eligible items only, exclusions do apply. Okay, so Ted sent us an email, again, prospects at gmail.com. It's literally the name of the show, at gmail. Uh, Ted sent us an email, and there's two questions in here, and the first one was about Brady House. We'll get to him in just a second. But the second question was about McKenzie Gore, the pitcher, and his prospect promotion incentive eligibility. And can I explain more about that? So... I think that maybe this is, I actually talked about Cade Cavalli still being eligible. So the prospect promotion incentive, let's break down how it works real quick and some of the weird rules around it. So the three requirements that you have to meet 
to be in the prospect promotion incentive program is preseason, the guy must be in two of three specified preseason top 100 prospect lists. It is ESPN America. I'm sorry. It is ESPN's list. It is Baseball America's list. It is MLB Pipeline's list. You have to be in two of those three in the top 100 to be eligible. Uh, I believe Gore was not in two of those, so he would not be eligible there. Number two, you must be rookie eligible with less than 60 days of service time entering that year. So Mackenzie Gore was up some last year, but still rookie eligible, did not have 60 days of service time, so you're good there. The third thing was you have to accrue one year of service time as a rookie. So this year being the year that you lose rookie eligibility, you have to get a year of service time. And the reason that Mackenzie Gore is not PPI eligible is one, I don't believe he was on two of those three top 100 lists, but also he was traded after he debuted in the major leagues. So the other part of this is once you've done those three things and you are in MLB, if you win rookie of the year or you're a top three finisher in Cy Young or MVP, your team can get a draft pick. But the rules on that are, one, you couldn't have been traded as a major leaguer. When you're traded, that program stops for that player. Two, you have to be pre-arbitration. So Julio Rodriguez got a pick for the Mariners because he was arbitration eligible when he won Rookie of the Year last year. But if he gets MVP votes in years two or three, he will not get a draft pick to the Seattle Mariners because he's no longer pre-arbitration. He has signed a long-term contract extension. Spencer Strider, Michael Harris, guys who have signed extensions, their teams, even if they had been top 100 prospects, the, the Atlanta Braves would not be eligible for the prospect promotion incentive. Kate Cavalli, conversely, is actually eligible for the prospect promotion incentive. Now, uh, the odds of him winning Rookie of the Year next year are incredibly small because he's going to miss half the year rehabbing from injury. But technically, he will accrue, like, he will get a full year of service time next year because he will accrue um, a full year of service on the injured list this year. So he was a preseason top 100. He came into this year rookie eligible with less than 60 days of service. And he will accrue one year of service time as a rookie because he's on the injured list and you get uh, service time while you were on the, the, the injured list, either the, the shorter version or the 60-day. You accrue service time. So if Cade Cavalli were to top place top three in Cy Young voting or Rookie of the Year voting next year or MVP voting, uh, he would get a draft pick for the Washington Nationals. It's just he's going to be out half the year, so odds are it's not going to happen. So Mackenzie Gore is not PPI eligible, but Cade Cavalli is. And again, it might be 2025 before he qualifies for, uh, if he qualifies for Cy Young. But 2024, he is technically eligible, but I don't believe with at best half a season, he's going to win Rookie of the Year. The other question from Ted was about Brady House and uh, the, some of the differences in 22 and 23. And do we think we're going to see Brady House get promoted this year? I absolutely do think we'll see him get promoted uh, this year. So re reminder on Brady House, 45 games in low A last year, 
and the stat line wasn't great. 278, 356, 375, three home runs, 11 extra base hits, 12 walks to 59 strikeouts, and one for one on stolen bases. But the thing here is he had a back injury, then he had about a COVID and they shut him down. And he was doing well before the back injury, which he tried to play through. The first 30 games, 303, 386, 420 with three home runs for Brady House. After the back injury, that's where his stat line tanked. And then he ended up having to miss time because of the back injury. And I think that the Brady House we see this year, 17 games in low A as of now, 286, 395, 508, three home runs, seven extra base hits, 11 walks to 17 strikeouts, and one for two on stolen bases. I think that is the true talent level of Brady House. Last year was an aberration. You kind of have to throw it out. This year is the year where these stats are more indicative of the true talent level of Brady House. I would expect sooner rather than later him getting moved to, to high A, and if he continues to do well, I could see him getting a late season cup of coffee in double A this year. Big believer in Brady House. The power is necessarily like, I'm sorry, the power is, is real. There was questions last year about his ability to hit velocity and to hit pitches elevated in the zone. He's doing that this year. I think it was more the back than it was the approach or some sort of innate inability to do that as a hitter. The pitch recognition's good. You see the 11 walks to 17 strikeouts, whereas it was 45 games and he got 12 walks last year. So he's almost met that in one third of the games. The pitch recognition is better. He's hitting the, fa- the, the high fastball. I think a lot of the knocks on his performance from last year were because of injury. So you can definitely kind of throw those out and say, this is the true talent level of Brady House. Another question talking about uh, what kind of stats are predictive in Dynasty and, and as far as trying to find players and see how well that they do. So uh, for pitchers and for hitters, there's different things that I look at. When you're looking at pitching statistics that are sticky from year to year and work predictively, uh, ground ball rate and strikeout rate are both surprisingly consistent from year to year. For the most part, how the guy does on ground ball rate and strikeout rate is indicative of his true talent level. Now, you can improve that as you process through the minors, but a lot of the improvement to that is going to be introducing new pitches, more improvement to your pitch mix, Uh, but that is a remarkably consistent stat to true talent level year to year. When you do the actual statistical correlations, the the, the correlation coefficient for ground ball rate is 0.768. And for strikeout rate, it's 0.720. And a reminder of stats class, because nobody loved stats class, anything between 0.3 and 0.5 is pretty weak correlation. But anything of 0.7 or higher is a reliable indicator that there is, in fact, a, a true correlation between these things. So, ground ball rate and strikeout rate for a pitcher. Now, not always incredibly easy to get those from the minor league level. There is a specific minor league uh, data set that a lot of fantasy baseball guys and stuff like that have access to. 
but those are very useful metrics. Walk rate is kind of predictive as well, but another one of those where not as predictive as those two, ground ball rate and strikeout rate. And so a nice corollary for this is going, that's why I give strikeouts per nine innings. It's not the exact same as strikeout rate, but it gives you an idea of how well does this guy punch people out. For hitters, uh, it's quality of contact stats, right? They're not always easy to get, but you're looking for hard hit percentage and you're looking for line drive rate, okay? And line drive rate is, in essence, line drives have the best chance of falling for base hits. Hard hits are uh, how hard did you hit the ball? Both of these metrics measure the quality of the contact that you have. Again, not the easiest ones to get, but I think they're really useful. Expected weighted on base average is kind of the gold standard, but that one's incredibly hard to get for minor leaguers. So hard hit rate, line drive rate, those are pretty predictive for minor leaguers and for hitters. There's a correlation from year to year to those. Those tend to carry over and correlate with each other. So uh, those are the most the most predictive stats to look for if you're trying to find a breakout guy there. In just a second, I've got a question about the 40-man roster and how it can impact prospect call-ups, as well as a little bit of talk about college baseball. And we'll get to that next right here on Locked on MLB Prospects. And we are back. So Cliff in our Discord had a question about the importance or the relevance of a prospect's 40-man roster status to their likelihood of getting called up. and. This is something that does matter. We don't think about it a lot. The 26-man rosters, obviously, when they get called up. But the 40-man roster does, uh, does impact these decisions. So to break it down from the very beginning, 26-man roster are the guys that are active at the major league level. To be on the 26-man roster, you have to be a member of the 40-man roster. And that is... Uh, the guys that are eligible to be put into a major league game. Now, there are certain time frames where you have to put prospects on the 40-man roster or you could lose them, and it's all based around the age that they were when they entered your organization. If they were over the age of 18 when they entered, so a college draftee, for instance, you have four years from when they signed to put them on your major league Uh, on your 40-man roster or run the risk of them being selected by somebody else in the Rule 5 draft. If they were under the age of 18 when you got them in your organization, it's five years. But uh, the reason that this matters is if you want to make a spot on your 40-man roster, then the person that is occupying the slot that you want, you have to either trade them You have to release them. You have to put them on the 60-day IL because the 10 or 15-day IL does use a 40-man roster spot. The 60-day IL does not use a 40-man roster spot. And every organization has a guy or two coming back from Tommy John or whatever it might be that they can put on the 60-day IL. The other option is to designate them for assignment. And obviously, when somebody's DFA'd, they go through outright waivers and they can be claimed by another organization. So if you have a prospect that you want to call up, but you don't have to put them on the 40-man roster yet, and you have a veteran 
that does not have, or sorry, that you don't want to run the risk of losing, you may not call that prospect up because the cost of calling up that prospect is not only if they were to perform poorly, but also you may lose that veteran. This comes up a lot at the beginning of the year when teams are, when clubs are assembling their teams out of spring training. You'll see this guy has a minor league option. This guy doesn't. We'll put the guy that doesn't have an option in our major league roster and the guy that has an option will use it and send him to the minor leagues. Now, moving a guy off the 26-man roster, that's where the option comes in. Uh, again, you have three option years to, to be moved to the minors without being exposed to waivers. You are allowed to be moved to the minors five times in a season. Used to be unlimited, new CBA, now it's five times. After five, you would have to go through waivers. Uh, the other option, if they don't have an option available, is you have to designate, designate them for assignment, where they, have to, they go through waivers, they can be claimed by any organization. If nobody claims them, they go to the minors. Depending on how much uh, service time they have, they have the option to refuse the assignment to the minors and become a free agent. So uh, if a prospect is not on the 40-man roster, know that the organization is going to have to run the risk of losing somebody to get that prospect to the bigs. So it's a little bit less likely that the organization is going to make the move unless that is a top prospect. Uh, Mark from the Bronx Muchachos podcast had uh, some college baseball questions. And the first one was about why the University of Miami struggles to develop pitching. Is it recruiting or is it development? And Jim Morris was a great coach. Uh, uh, Gino DeMauro has been fine. I think this year is like, I think this will be the second year straight. They're going to host a regional. They haven't quite, they haven't made it to Omaha, but they've been, uh, they've been really interesting. The thing that I notice about Miami when it comes to a, them versus a lot of other college programs is they have top 25 classes, but the classes are smaller, right? So going back the last six years, they had six top 20 classes. One of them was top five. And I, that was the, the 2021 class was number three overall. It was also the largest class at 16. The rest of the classes were somewhere between 13 and 20. And they were all 11, 12, 14 guys. And I've noticed that Miami tends to sign smaller classes than a lot of other programs. And so if you think about it, you're bringing in less players. There's natural attrition that happens. You do lose guys in the draft, all that kind of stuff. And so you have less chances to develop a stud. They've had good pitching come through Coral Gables. Uh, Carson Palmquist last year moved him from closing to the rotation. He looked really good, got drafted. But for the most part, there's less opportunities to, to develop a guy into an ace. And then the caliber of the recruit isn't necessarily as high Part of the reason they're signing smaller classes is because they're not losing as many guys to MLB out of high school as you would expect. And the rest of that kind of ties in with the second question, which is why is the SEC so good at college baseball? And the real delineating point, because this was always a West Coast thing, right? This was always California was uh, one like the best baseball state in college baseball. A lot of this has come back to the resources in the SEC with the TV money, right? There's a lot more fight like financial wherewithal in the conference, in the SEC now, to pay for facilities, 
to pay for coaches, to do the travel required to recruit, all of that kind of stuff. So it's something where versus the California schools, the traditional old school powers, the SEC has more financial resources to devote to baseball. Versus schools up north, the SEC has the advantage of the climate. You can play baseball almost year-round outdoors in the south, depending on where you are. If you're in Alabama, if you're in Florida, things like that, you can play almost year-round. Whereas if you're in Michigan, you're not playing outside without snow on the ground until March. A lot of northern teams spend the first month of the season entirely on the road because the season starts in February and it's still there's still a foot of snow on the ground on their ballpark when they're trying to start the college baseball season. And then a lot of it too is talent distribution. Looking at where major leaguers come from, looking at where uh, top college talent comes from, there's a really heavy concentrations California, Florida, Texas and Georgia. Those four states have the most baseball talent like per capita or sheer number of top recruits. And three of those four, Florida, Texas, and Georgia, have stronger presences not only from SEC teams in state, but also being recruited by SEC teams. And they recruit California too, but a lot of the SEC stuff is, is, is regional. You know, the two Mississippi schools, Ole Miss and Mississippi State, recruiting the state of Mississippi heavily, LSU and Louisiana, and then LSU's pulling from Texas. Auburn and Alabama pull from the state of Georgia. Uh, just about everybody pulls from the state of Georgia. They go out there and they take so many recruits from UGA or from Georgia Tech. And so it kind of works out where uh, all of these things have kind of added up now into this situation where the SEC is head and shoulders above everybody else right now because there's so much talent concentrated there. They have the resources to go get it and they have the climate to, to let those players develop and, and be discovered and be recruited by these programs. Fantastic week coming up this week. Reminder, if you have questions for Monday's mailbag, I'm on Twitter at Crosby Baseball. Show's on Twitter at Locked on Farm. You can email us, prospects at gmail.com or drop your questions into Locked on MLB Prospects Discord. Links in, the, links in the episode description, links in the show notes. Until tomorrow's show, remember, it's always a great time to pay a minor leaguer.